My, what, we're a year and a half into parenting, and it is so funny and great how much it changes your life. And um, here's some uh, funny ways that it does it. Um, preparing for birth. The first time mom is getting ready to be a mom, uh, and she, this is how she prepares for birth. The first baby, you practice your breathing religiously. You're really into the breathing. You, the second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember the last time breathing didn't do a thing. <laughs> the third baby... The third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. <laughs> I'll take it now. Uh, your baby's wardrobe. This is where we are right now. Uh, my wife crocheted Caroline's whole outfit this morning. Or not this morning, but for this morning. Uh, baby's wardrobe. Your first baby, you pre-wash your newborn's clothes, you color coordinate them, you fold them neatly, and you put them in the baby's uh, closet. The second baby, you check to make sure the clothes are clean, not that smelly, and discard the ones with the darkest stains. <laughs> The third baby, boys can wear pink, right? <laughs> uh, you know you turned into a mom when you're out for a nice romantic meal with your husband, enjoying real adult conversation, and then you suddenly realize you've reached across the table and started to cut up his steak. <laughs> so many of you are going to be guilty of this next one. So you spend a half an hour searching for your sunglasses only to have your little one say, Mom, why don't you just wear the ones on top of your head? <laughs> Yeah. Things my mother taught me. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> Number two, my mother taught me about logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. <laughs> one of the two. I love this one. Number three. Uh, mother taught me about humor. When that, lawnmower, uh, when that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then lastly, there's this story uh, of a husband and wife and mother-in-law. They took a vacation to the Holy Land, and um, so they're there with their mother-in-law, and she passes away. And the undertaker says to them, says to the son-in-law, you know, you can have your mother-in-law shipped home uh, for about $15,000, or we could bury her here in the Holy Land, and it would only be about $150 right here in the Holy Land. So the son-in-law thinks about it for a moment, and he tells the undertaker, I would prefer that we have her shipped back home, and we'll have the burial at home. And puzzled, the undertaker says, why? Why would you spend $15,000 to ship your mother-in-law home? Wouldn't it be wonderful here in the Holy Land for only $150? She could be buried in the Holy Land. And the man said, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. I can't take any chances. I cannot take any of those chances. So this is my mother-in-law over here. You can stand up. We love her dearly. I would ship you home, for sure ship you home. No, I'm just kidding. I would bury you there. We'd raise you from the dead. And uh, I'm just kidding. Honestly. <laughs> wow. wasn't even going to say anything about her, but <laughs> except clean up my joke. That video where it said that they're your cheerleader, your encourager. That has been mom. When we've like fallen flat on our face and, and uh, she wasn't there to pick us up. She was like made up a cheer. <laughs> like it was just ready to put us back on the the horse, we call her horsey grandma because <laughs> she has horses. Um, 
not for any other reason, which would be weird. <laughs> um, so anyway, we love her dearly. I make fun of her. I like, I like mother-in-law jokes. She drives me crazy in a good way. Somebody say amen. So, okay, we're done with that. So, awesome. Let's do this. Go ahead and, well, let me pray. Let me get in my zone. <laughs> God, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you for today. Mother's Day, the best day. Uh, Lord, we know We just know that that moms just do so much more, and they're just they they carry your heart of nurturing and and your nature. And uh, God, I just pray this morning that that moms see it as more than babysitting or doctoring or staying up all night. God, their sacrifices produce eternal results. And uh, God, if, if we say anything this morning, Lord, I, I just pray that we catch that. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. So anyway, we're in a series that I'm going to attempt to get to now called Rhythms. Um, it's called Rhythms, and what we uh, launched last week was this. It says, um, it's this. So here's my thought, is that our life, as the video said, we have rhythms to it, and our walk with God has rhythms to it, and you can get out of sync with the rhythm of God. There's choices that you can make or maybe compromises that you can make that sort of kick your life off track in the rhythms of God and the things of God. And so all throughout scripture, God isn't laying down rules because he feels like, you know, you got to do this and I'm the angry God. And he's saying the best kind of life is if you do this. Why? Because it keeps you in rhythm and it keeps you in sync with the way that God created you to live. Somebody say amen. And uh, part of that is parenting. Part of that is being parents, moms and dads, and, and, uh, and setting the course for our kids. And Proverbs 22, 6 in the New Living Translation says, you've all heard it said, um, train up a child in the way that they should go. And I have a little different translation for you. It's the same scripture. But it says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. They will not depart it. And so as parents, for us to be in rhythm, and to keep our kids in rhythm, it's important for us early to set them on the right path. Somebody say amen. So that's why as a church, we are very strategic and intentional about making sure our kids' men is taken care of. We, uh, we want them to have the best. Somebody say amen. Because we know if early in their formidable years, we can set them on the right path, the scripture promises us that they won't depart it or they won't leave it. And so one thought in here is that the scripture says, direct your children unto the right path. But us as parents, we need to know what that right path is. And uh, it's important for us to be in Scripture and be in devotion and being able to seek out and read books and learn what the Bible says about setting our kids on the right path. There's a lot of great books out there and all these mothering things and stuff you can sign up for and blogs to read and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. I'm not opposed to any of that. But if it's not lining up with the Word of God, then it might not be the right path to set them on. Somebody say amen. So talking about our kids, we're talking about being in rhythm, in sync with the way that God called us to raise our kids. And this whole sermon isn't about um, raising kids, but I wanted to put this in here uh, because I think it really goes with what we're talking about today. And what we're talking about today is the rhythm of sacrifice, Uh, the rhythm of sacrifice. We know that parents sacrifice, and we're not going to leave dads out of it either. We know as a parent, you sacrifice. Uh, I know one thing in youth ministry uh, I did youth ministry for 10 years. I was a youth pastor. And teenagers are different than adults because you get up there and you do an event or you preach a sermon or you do something. And in the teenager, when they're done, 
They just want to go hang out with their. You don't ever get like a, hey, you know, the way you broke that down was really good, and I thought that you did this and that was good. You don't really get like this encouragement or return on your investment or your sacrifice. Some adults, some of you that are kind people will send me a note or say a good job every once in a while. The rest of you, I'm still praying for your salvation. <laughs> uh, so it's, a, so it's a little different, and that's kind of what parenting is like. You know, you, you know you're, you're training them up every day and every day and every day, and uh, you don't see the immediate reward. But God has a promise for you in Proverbs that says you keep them on that right path. You keep directing them the way they should go. It's like a coach, you know, throws their arm around the thing and says, all right, now here's what we're going to do. When you get to the thing, you set them on that right path, and you go. And it works two ways. One of it is in your verbal coaching. You say, hey, this is the right, and we're training you up, and here's the scriptures. And we're, But the other, the other part of it is you're leading them by how you're living an example, how you live your life, amen? And, um, and so that, that's how we set them on the right path, but it's all sacrifice. Uh, and God, God honors and is into your sacrifice. Though we may feel with our kids, oh, they don't get it, or they don't see it, or my parents don't see it, or the grandparents don't see it, or the school system's not seeing it right now. God sees your sacrifice. Somebody say, that's good. So I want to talk about that this morning, that one of our rhythms, one of the things that keeps us in sync. You okay? What'd I do? You're, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. It doesn't have to be there. Here, I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Give it up for Kevin, protecting our stuff. I'm about to put it on another thing. It's going to fall off. I got it. Don't worry about it. If you guys can just get me one of those beer hat things, I'll just preach with that on. That'll, that'll put me in the paper in Zealand, right? Uh, yeah. You guys are, like, tempting me now. <laughs> okay. So the power of sacrifice keeps us in rhythm. You know, God isn't one that says with his lightning bolts that he's throwing, you must sacrifice unto me. Da, da, da. But when we, when we live a sacrificial life, whether it be our time or how we steward our money or all of those kinds of things, sacrificing gives God something to work with. It's equity. It's investment. It gives him something to work with. And so that's why sacrifice is important, not because God needs your time or your stuff or your reason. No, it's because it, it puts us in relationship and in experience with God. And so I love this in Exodus, kind of one of the weirdest scriptures. Uh, but then when you look at it, it makes all kinds of sense. So Exodus chapter 10, verse 24 says, Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and herds be kept back. So this is when they were getting released. You remember the burning bush, all this kind of stuff? They're kept in captivity. This is when Pharaoh's saying, you know what? I'm finally done with you people. You can leave. And so for them, this is awesome. We're, we're, we're released. You know, this part is over. This part of our life is over. So he says, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones go also. So your kids can go with you. Verse 25. But Moses said, you must also give us. So Moses' response to Pharaoh was, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then in verse 26, he said, our, life, our, our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord. And even we do not know until, or what we need until, what we must need to serve the Lord until we arrive there. Here's the moral of the story. They're getting let go. So Moses sees the burning bush. He's called to set the captives free. He goes there. There's all of that. And then finally, when he's going to get released, Pharaoh says to him, hey, you can finally leave. You can be out of here. Go serve your Lord. And, uh, but keep back your herds and your livestock. You know, keep back the flock. And, the, 
And so they're finally set free. The whole family gets to go. To me, that seems like a deal. You know, we're out of here. We're just going to leave the cows back. This is a good thing. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to go and leave my sacrifices behind. And this time they still killed calves. That's how they sacrificed things unto God. And so Moses literally was willing to stay in a place of captivity because he was not willing to leave sacrifices behind. He knew that everything is in the power of sacrifice. He knew that, listen, if I leave all this stuff back, I won't have any sacrifice, and I'm eventually going to end up back in captivity and slavery if I don't live a life without sacrifice. Somebody say amen. So it's the same thing in our life. If we have no moments of sacrifice, if we don't in our life have these things that kind of pinch us a little and, and sort of you know keep us on the edge of of uh, our flesh being, like Scripture says, that it's not I that live, it's Christ that live. It's how we're laying down our life for the things of God. If we don't have those moments, we'll end up back in captivity of the way that we used to live, the way that things used to be. Sacrifice was everything for Moses. He knew that there was power in sacrifice, and Pharaoh knew that too. He knew if I, if I keep back their sacrifice, they're going to go, and they'll eventually be captive again because I can keep back their sacrifice. And it's the same thing with us. Uh, again, as I said, you know, there's, there's ways that um, God will set us free from something. We'll have a moment with God, and he'll move in our life. And, uh, and this is great, and God moved in our life. And then all of a sudden, we get prideful about our life. So, you know, I've done this thing on my own, and, and we forget to live submitted to God, and we forget to, to keep in check with the things of God and laying down sacrifice unto God. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves bound back up in captivity or in sin. Anybody with me? And... Uh, a lot of times it ends up being the same sin. God delivered us from a way we used to think or a way we used to live or a thing we used to be a part of, and we get out of it for a season, and then we, we keep forgetting that God delivered us, and all of a sudden, years later, you find yourself back in the same thing. Why? Because you, you forgot to lay your, down, your life down at the altar of sacrifice on a continual basis, amen? And so rhythm, being in sync with God, is saying, God, it's not I that live, it's you that live in me. What do you want to do in my life? All of these things that I've gained, I haven't gained by my own hand. It's you who've done it for me. What, what can I give back? What can I lay at your feet so that you can lead and guide and direct me? And then God uses those things and promotes you and sets you free again. Amen? And so sacrifice is huge. How do you keep fire burning? You add to it, right? You add more. You add more. You add more. It's the same thing in our walk with God. It's the same thing with, with our relationship. The scripture, like I said last week, we go from glory to glory. You're continually saying, God, it's, it's you that live in me. It's not me. I die to my flesh. I want more of you. And you're sacrificing more and more. Scripture all throughout says, I take up my cross. I do all of these things sacrificially. Why? Because that's how God uses us and keeps us in rhythm. Amen? We all know the story of Job. God is essentially bragging about Job. He says, hey, here's my guy. Man, he's just, Job is my guy. He's the man. And at the time, he was the richest man in all the land. And the devil says, well, yeah, of course he's the richest man in all the land. Of course he loves you and praises you and, and, uh, and, and speaks well of you. Look at him. He's so rich. Look at him. He has all this stuff. And so God's respond back to the devil was, well, here's the deal. Uh, I'll take that hedge of protection down, and you can do what you want to do, but you just can't kill him which is a crazy story we won't get into about all that with, with that. But So that's the deal that's made. Hey, you can do whatever you want to do. You just can't kill him. And so what is the first thing the devil does? He kills his cattle. He goes after his livestock. And a tornado comes and wipes out his livestock. Why? Because every morning Job got up and sacrificed 10 cattle every day unto the Lord. 
the first thing the devil went after was what? The sacrifice. Why? Because if we get prideful, if we get high on our horse, if we ever get in a place that, well, you know, I've been in a church a long time. I don't need to sacrifice like I used to. Well, I'm this. I don't need to like I used to. That hedge is going to come down in your life, and you're going to be open for attack. Somebody say amen. And so it's so important for us. And this isn't a, oh, that angry God, he's up there to get us. We must live low and we must. No, it's saying, God, you've done so much in our life and we trust you with all of our life that I'm going to make sure it's priority that I lay something at your feet every day. That was Job. Job said, every day I'm getting up and I'm making sure that I have something to give to my God. That's what we do here in worship. We come in on Sunday not to just get a coffee and see some people. We get a coffee and see some people and then we lay sacrifice at God's feet. Amen. And that's what we do when we're in the community. It's what we do when we're out and all. It's, it's saying, God, we trust you with all that we're a part of. And so we lay down our agenda, our lives, because you can do more with it. Satan tried to do the same thing to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He came to him and he said, I'm going to steal your sacrifice. And the one, way that he, one of the ways he tempted him was he said, why don't you worship me and I'll give you all the nations? So the first thing he tried to do was get him to praise Satan, if you worship me, if now you, you use your words and you worship me, I'll give you the nations. But the scripture says that our praise is a sacrifice of praise. That's what the word calls it. When we praise God, when we speak well of God, when we speak of the goodness of God, that's a sacrifice of praise. He went after Jesus' sacrifice of praise. Why? Because if you can steal that, the enemy knows that life and death is in the power of the tongue. If you can shut that down, you're going to win. Somebody say, that's good. The second... Another thing that he did was this. He took him up on a high place, and he said, jump from here. So he takes him up to a cliff, and he tells Jesus, why don't you jump from here and command angels to catch you? And Jesus' response was that, uh, you know, I'll worship my God and worship my God only. Uh, Satan strategically took him to a high place because we always fall from a high, prideful place, don't we? And Jesus' response, again, was a sacrifice of praise unto God. I'm going to keep a sacrifice before God. I'm not going to let pride cause me to jump and fail. And uh, even though he had a way out, angels could have caught him. But he kept a sacrifice of praise. The scripture says about Isaac that he sowed when? He sowed in a time of famine. Uh, We'll close with this if DJ wants to come play. I got a couple thoughts while we're closing. But the scripture says about him that he sowed in the time of famine. He sacrificed even when it didn't make sense. And there's so many of us in our life that we calculate everything. It's like, okay, now's a good time for me to sacrifice because I can work this part out over here. Now's a good time for me to kind of be submissive because I can work this part over here. And all of that kind of boils down to our own control. But the scripture says in a time of famine, when it made no sense, he still brought sacrifice. He still brought a lifestyle of sacrifice. So in closing, I love this thought right here. As a mom, as a dad, as you raise your kids and set them on that right path like we talked about, you're going to have a famine season. You say like, oh man, I don't, I, don't, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see a way through this or over this or around this. You, you go through it and you sow in the famine. Somebody say amen. So maybe your response in a tough time is this. Hey, we're just in the famine season. It's the dry season. We're, we're going to sow anyway and watch God do great things. He, he, he was raised up when Isaac sowed in the famine. He was raised up to one of the wealthiest people in the land after he sowed in the famine. Uh, Elijah, this is a 
short story for you here before we close. The story of Elijah. This is the microphone that Nate dropped on the ground. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you missed it a couple weeks ago, shame on you. You missed the inside joke. <laughs> Elijah, there's the story of this where they sort of have this sacrifice off that takes place. There's this battle on the mountain about who's God. And, uh, they, and they say, okay, we're going to build a sacrifice. And whichever God answers by fire is God. And so essentially the other guys go first and uh, Elijah's waited back and uh, they build an altar and they, and this is interesting because the scripture points this out and it's for a reason. The scripture says this about the people that built the first altar. It said they got all dressed up. They put on a big show in their clothes. They got all fancy and they got all up about how they looked. And then it also said that they went leaping and shouting and making all kinds of noise unto themselves as the sacrifice, as they were waiting for their God to call down fire. And I think for them, they got their focus on if we look all fancy, if we look the part, if we're the loudest, if people can see us, then, you know, we're going to do it by our own attention. God will, will come down. So isn't it interesting sometimes in religion or sometimes in church, we can do that. We can get ourselves all put together real well and make a lot of noise and throw around a lot of scripture and kind of just draw the attention to us instead of the sacrifice. Somebody say amen. So it didn't work. The prophets of Baal, it didn't work. And uh, so it's Elijah's turn. And he says, tear it all down, tear down all their stuff. And he rebuilds it the exact same way, except for he says this. He tears it all down and he commands his guys to go get four barrels of water. But at this time, Elijah, there was no rain. If you remember, they were in a three and a half year drought and the scripture said there wasn't even dew in the mountains. That's a bad time when there's no mountain dew. Somebody say amen. Like that's, that's, I mean, for me, I'm getting pretty. But the scripture literally says that, which is biblical confirmation for mountain dew. I rest my case. You show me your crappy coffee, and I'll show you Mountain Dew in the Bible. So, uh, But I didn't say all that just to make a joke. So there's no dew even in the mountains. It's so dry. The rivers are dried up. And so here they're trying to get a sacrifice of fire, and this guy says, go get water. We don't have any water. Water's the rarest thing. It's the rarest thing. Go get water. Why? Because the biggest sacrifice they could have made at that time was to give up the water. So they took their best sacrifice and laid it on the altar. And then after they did four buckets, he said, go get four more and go get more and go and kept commanding for more water to be placed on this. And the scripture points this out. The scripture says that the fire fell and, and it says that it quenched up all the water. Uh, one translation, a message translation says it literally licked up all the water, made sure all the water was gone down around the ground. Everywhere that the water went was gone. Why? Because God was saying I accept and honor your sacrifice. I see that you put actual sacrifice on this. Sticks and wood and all, that wasn't, that wasn't, it was the sacrifice that he laid on it that caused God's attention to be on that moment. Somebody say amen. It's the same thing in our life. When we lay sacrifice down, it causes God to come to it in such a way that he quenches it, he licks it all up, he absorbs all of your sacrifice and in return blesses. God is not a God who responds to 
status and noise and your past and what position you think you have. God is a God who responds to our sacrifice. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us singing songs to him. God wants those things because it shows sacrifice in our life unto him. And that's what keeps us in rhythm with him. And I thought about it like this. Anytime we hold back sacrifice, ultimately we're just saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you in this area of resources or finances, or I don't trust you that if I sacrifice and give of my time, that it's gonna be good enough or it's gonna, anytime we hold back sacrifice, it's ultimately an area that we haven't submitted unto God. Somebody say amen. You can stand to your feet. I know that's kind of like a punch that you're gonna chew on for a little bit, but I want you to chew on it. That's why I put it last. Is honestly, in our lives, what are those areas that you know God is nudging you and pulling you to maybe serve more or spend time differently, maybe with your kids or your husband or your wife or your community or your church or what? God's nudging you to something and he's saying, ah, I, can't, I can't give you that part, God can't give you that part of my finances, can't give you that part of my time, can't give you that part, because I need to stay in control of that because what? Because you think you're the only one that can do it right? God knows better how to handle your time and your resources and your energy and your future and your past and all of those areas. Submit them unto God. He has a better way. He said, I came to give you life and give it to you better. Somebody say amen. I want you all bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here this morning, and uh, you've never chosen God to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You've, you've never committed your heart to him and decided to become a Christian, but maybe today you're saying, that's me. Maybe it was through the music. Maybe it was just through the interaction of people here. Maybe you felt the love of God just in this room, and you know I need to make a decision to get my heart right with God and put my life on a path that follows him. If that's you this morning and you want to decide to become a Christian, we can pray with you. Right where you're seated, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody forward or anything like that. We're actually all going to pray the prayer together at the same time. The only thing that I'm asking is that when I count to three, you raise your hand when I count to three because the scripture says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on your way to heaven. And so that's why I want to pray that prayer. But I want to be able to acknowledge you, just me and you, because nobody's looking around. That way I can agree with you while we're praying. So on the count of three, if that's you, you want me to pray that prayer with you. When nobody looking around, on three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Let's put it up. I'll be able to see it. Anybody in here? I see that one back there. Very cool. Anybody else? Be the best decision of your life. Anyone else? Awesome. Okay, cool. You can put your hands down. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray this prayer together. In the scripture, if you believe it in your heart, the scripture says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you pray this prayer and believe it in your heart, even if you didn't raise your hand and you pray this prayer and believe it in your heart, um, it's the same. It works for you. And so let's just all agree in prayer as we pray this. Say this. Say, God, today I choose you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a follower of you. In Jesus' name, 